got to a point, Janice and I, where my wife said, we're just two ships passing at night in the sea. Pretty good image, right? Two ships passing. So what are some of your answers to the question, how do you go from new, exhilarating, fresh, stimulating, or maybe motivated to pursue you, is a better way to put it, <coughs> to stale, boring, ho-hum, unmotivated to pursue you? What, what, what's lacking here that might have been present in the beginning? Thoughts? Answers? Gail? I really think Lazy and selfish. It takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of thinking of what the other person would find exciting, which is what's going to make it different. Yes. Not what you want to do. It's going to change it. Other-centeredness. So if I'm selfish, I'm not other-centered. If I'm other-centered, I'm focused on them. Good. Very helpful. Any other answers? I mean, one of the just real practical realities is that marriage provides stability where there's not the same necessary impetus for pursuit. I mean, when you're dating someone, you're worried you might lose them yeah. if you don't do everything right. So it, it, but there's, there is that, that negative and dangerous side to that stability that um, takes away some of some of the former drive of that motivation to pursue. Yes. And so it takes more work to continue that pursuit. Good. So that's very interesting. How many husbands think this way? Do I want to become a man that my wife wished she was not married to? Do I want to be a man that my wife thinks she'd be happy to married to somebody else? To, to me, that's a terrifying thought. I would just, uh, I would just, it's, you know, I have a whole, a right jealousy for my wife, right? It's a good quality. So why don't I treat her in such a way that I, and I'm not going to lose her because we've made, we've made marriage covenant before God. But why don't I treat her in such a way that she'd go, it's unthinkable I'd be happy with somebody else. Should I live that way? I think so. And I think that's what Gail is saying. It's, it's being other-centered. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I think I said this earlier in the class. You're not responsible for your spouse's happiness, but you can live with them in such a way that they feel like the most cherished person in the world. They feel like the most cherished person in the world by the way you live with them and are centered on them and pray for them, etc., etc. Any other thoughts in answer to the question? How does the relationship get here? What's missing that was here? Any other thoughts? Well, here's what, really what came to my mind was sort of what Gail was saying, and that is, if, if I'm called to be a servant and to give my life away and lay, lay down my, my life for the sake of my wife, I'm not sure that's ever boring. If I'm constantly thinking, how can I serve my wife? How can I promote what is good for her? How can I live in such a way that she feels like the most cherished person in the world? I'm just not sure that's stale and boring, because there'll always be ways to serve her. Will there be routine? I heard the word routine come up, I think, in our... In, in our front group. Is it going to be routine? Of course. Life is a series of routines. But one of the ways to maintain joy uh, in the midst of routine is to be focused on what other people need. You're constantly asking the question, what resources has God given me to bring blessing to my spouse? Okay. So that's, that's, that was our icebreaker for today. Any closing thoughts on this as we move to the handout?
Let me put it this way. If it, Rock. I want you to. Uh, oh, yes, right. It's your I, I'm going to pass this sheet around now. This is the sign-up sheet for stuff you, if you want to bring to the to the cookout on Friday night. Whole family is invited, and uh, just need to know how many people are coming. Okay. Thank you. So I don't think I don't think this honors the Lord because right now in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are utterly delighting in each other. Right now. And what does the Godhead want mirrored in our relationships on earth? Something of that. Delighting in each other. Are they discovering things new about themselves? I don't think so. But there is a delight in each person in the Godhead. I think Tim Keller calls it the dance in his book, The Reason for God. The dance. And God wants that mirror somehow in our, not just our marriages, but in our relationships. So, if you guys say, oh, our marriage is boring and stale and ho-hum, you should do something about it, for God's glory's sake. And it'll bring blessing to you as well. So we're on the handout here. Our handout, uh, page one says, what's the greatest gift you have to give to the other? Turn the page to love is... And these are a series of one-liners lifted from Paul Tripp's book, What Were You Expecting? That's his book on marriage. What Were You Expecting? Great title. I mean, right, nobody gets married so they can have a boring, staring home. No one gets married so they can have a boring relationship. They get married because they were motivated to pursue that person. Keep pursuing them. And I want you to move down the page to about what might look to you like the bottom third. And we're picking up with the phrase, speaking kindly and gently. I'll give you a second to find it. Speaking kindly and gently. Is there enough handouts in the, in the foyer? Are there plenty? Okay, good. Speaking kindly and gently. Everybody found the spot? This is, a, he's just teasing out what you might call a multi- faceted picture of love. Lots of different facets to it. And in the Bible, love is a verb. It's what you do. It's not principally how you feel. It's a commitment to seek the other person's welfare, if even in the face of their worst. Where do we see love most dramatically portrayed in earth history? At the cross. We're giving Jesus our worst and he is saying, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. That's love. Was Jesus feeling love towards us at the time? It's a commitment to act for our welfare, if even in the face of our worst. So there's a sense in which you don't really know you love someone until you're not getting what you want. What you have up into that is like or infatuation or something. But love starts when, and this is the strength in which Jesus can say, love your enemies. How do you love your enemies? It isn't about feeling. Right? It's a commitment to do what's best for your enemy. Was that a hand up, Emily? I had a, I had a quote that I heard that I really liked. It was, um, giving someone what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. There you go. That's the gospel, isn't it? Giving someone what they, what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. We're going to get into the word sacrifice in our lesson today. So, love is speaking kindly and gently even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack your spouse's character 
and assault their intelligence. Okay. What does this presuppose? Anyone? You have a disagreement. How do we typically feel when we have a disagreement? We get angry. So let's make sure we understand what anger is. Anger is having a goal, something you want, something you might demand. Anger is having a goal that is blocked. To be distinguished from worry or anxiety, anxiety is having a goal that is called into question. So both my kids flew across the pond during the last week. My son just flew to Normandy last night. My daughter flew to Israel for a study tour. And I'm praying for their safety. How, what, if I had any emotion, what would it be? Anxiety. right? I, what's my goal? The safety and welfare of my kids. It's outside of my control. They're in these jumbo jets flying across the ocean. So I have some anxiety for their welfare. So you have a disagreement. And as we say, tempers fly or whatever, we start to get emotionally involved with the disagreement. What's going on? What might your goal be? So here's what's really helpful. When you identify in your heart anxiety, anger, you begin to identify emotions in your heart, stop and ask yourself what question. What goal do I have that seems to be being blocked? So if there's a disagreement I'm having with my wife, and I'm beginning to get frustrated, what do you think my goal is? What do you think my goal is? I want my way. I want to be right. I want to get the thing I want. And obviously, the greater the level of demand in your soul, the higher the emotion. So mild irritation, that goal doesn't mean so much to you. Okay. If you have no particular place to go at no particular time and traffic's slow in the beltway, it's, well, that's too bad. If you are running late for a critical appointment and the traffic's slow, you have more emotion because the, you're making a greater demand on the situation. So I've got to look inside my heart. What happens is God uses pressure on the heart to show what? To show you what? To show you what's in your heart. See, I've got all this selfishness, self-pity, anger, demandingness, pride, the need to be right, approved of, seen as comfortable, whatever it is. And all this kind of stays latent until there's pressure. And God ordains conflicts. We'll get to conflict resolution eventually in the class. God, God allows pressure to come to squeeze this stuff out. So what does that tell you about the way you should start the day? If you don't want these things to get the better of your relationship, what do you need to do? Cleansing. Sorry? Start with cleansing. Yeah, be proactive. Be proactive. Thank God there's a power in this universe greater than your worst impulses. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And God commands us in Ephesians 5.18, we'll look at this when we get to the marriage passage, because Ephesians 5.18 is the front door into Paul's teaching on marriage. His, what he's saying, I'll review this in a couple weeks, you can't do marriage without your heart filled with the Spirit. So be proactive. You know all this stuff is in your heart. If you don't know it, the termites of pride are eating away at your soul. You'll hear that again in the sermon. <laughs> uh, it, look, I know myself. I can be a jerk. I know if I'm challenged or questioned, I'll be defensive. And that's not good for the relationship. So be proactive. Start the day by saying, Holy Spirit, I want to be under your control. Here's my sin. This is the beautiful thing about our Savior. He doesn't despise our sin. He comes right into it. Is it an affront to him? Of course. But this is all he has to work with, guys, is our dirty, sinful, nefarious hearts. That's all he has to work with. And he'll come in. So start the day. Lord, I want to be under control of the Holy Spirit. And there'll be situations of the day I'll be particularly tempted by this, 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 this. Lay it in front of the Lord. What's going to tempt you today? Lay it in front of the Lord and say, Lord, proactively save me from that temptation. Fill me with your spirit. Let me be under the control of the spirit of righteousness and truth and love and charity and goodness and self-control. That's what God wants to be dependent upon. God loves desperate people. You're a desperate person whether or not you know it or not. And the safest, healthiest people are desperate people who know they're desperate. And run to Jesus. With, with, uh, to get grace. And he always gets grace. So, speaking kindly and gently, where's that going to come from? Do you notice those two things as fruits of the Spirit? Ephesians 5, 23 and 24. Even in moments of disagreement, refusing to attack your spouse's character or assault their intelligence, what would motivate you to go on that kind of assault? Where's that come from? When everything you do is motivated by something, all behavior is teleological. Whatever you do, you do for a reason. It's really helpful to know the reasons. Why, why would I attack my wife's intelligence or character? Emily? Does this make you feel a little bit better about yourself? I think so. I think the reason I need to attack is I'm beginning to feel low, and I'm trying to prop myself up by bringing the other person down. That's often what attacks assaults on other people. Gail? It might not be that. It might be that you want to change them to become like your wife's name or like us. Okay, so if I want to change them, right, and one of the things we're going to look at and get to it today is what are you tempted to change in the other person? That's the next page. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> but your spouse may, well, guess what? Does your spouse need changing? Well, of course. Huh? Yes, but he's also a child of Adam, and he's frail and fallen. I'm frail and fallen and messed up, so I need changing. But the best way for my wife to change me, to be a part of God changing me, is not assaulting me. We, we human beings usually don't do well with personal attack. We do well with kindness and gentleness. All right. So, next one. Somebody read it for us. Next in line, love is being unwilling to flatter, lie, manipulate, or deceive in any way in order to co-opt your spouse into giving you what you want or doing something your way. Thank you, Emily. <coughs> Thoughts, comments? 
What sort of self-knowledge does this require? What sort of self-awareness does this require? It requires what you just said earlier, pausing to examine your heart. Good. And ask the Lord to show you what your motives are. Good. It also requires you to know how you have configured in your mind the way you want your life to be. We all have a vision of what we would call the ideal life. Your strongest emotions are indicators of where you're not getting it. How many of you, every time you drive on the beltway, want to go 65 miles an hour? Well, <laughs> how many of you want to? All of you do. Of course you do. My wife and I have this big joke now that I have the easy idol. I want things easy. And because we know we're in a fallen world and that's probably not a realistic goal, we are now using different words. So if I call and say, I had a, I catch myself, I had an efficient trip home. <laughs> we're trying not to use, but look, do I want life easy? Of course I do. Of course I do. I had a little thing show up on my lip overnight, and I'm thinking, is this skin cancer? <laughs> really? I really did. It's right here. I just haven't seen this before. It just showed up. I don't remember biting my lip. I'm wondering, is it skin cancer? I've had two skin cancers. Do I want skin cancer? No. No! I don't want that the way I configure my life. Do I want dirt in my house? See, metaphorically, do you want dirt in your house? So there are things that come into your the, look, the way you want your world that bug you. And what's wrong with this? What's wrong with it? Well, part of it's just fine. We were built for paradise. We weren't built for dirt, mosquitoes, and skin cancer. You're built for perfection. You want perfection. We, don't live, in a, we live in a Genesis 3 world. So what we need to do to get realistic is put Christ in the middle of it and the messiness of his sacrifice, and the awfulness of his death, and the fact that I am the greatest contributor in history to the death of Jesus. I nailed him there. So that allows a little more latitude to bring in inconvenience, and strife, and disagreement into my life. And that Janice can be, she, she doesn't have to be Eve before the fall, as much as I want her to be. And guess what? She's not married to Adam before the fall. And that should be my biggest concern. I'm not, I'm not a sinless Adam, rather than making Janice demanding that she be a sinless Eve. I'm not a sinless Adam. Right? So this requires self-awareness. What is it I'm, I'm demanding of my life that's unrealistic for Genesis 3 world? Okay? And, and notice, we, we resort to all these uh, awful manner of ways of getting what we want, flattering, lying, manipulating, and deceiving. I, I mean, I do that. I do that. If the subject is going down, if the subject, something we're talking about, is going down a road that's going to interrupt the way I want my world, I'll try to change the subject. I'm just admitting darkness of my own heart to you. Not all the time, but I know that about myself. I mean, this thing needs to be, uh, yesterday we discovered something now, these, these bees are drilling into the thing on our back porch, and you can see the sawdust caught in a 
cobweb, and we need to do something about that. Uh, my thing is, okay, uh-huh, and let's move on to the next thing. I just kind of don't want to deal with it. That's, that's who I am. I don't want to deal with it. That's bad. Fo- that's not good, is it, Fabi? I'm getting a no from Fabi back there. <laughs> All right, TMI, right? No, your pastor is a big, frail sinner. Next one, who would read it for us? Being unwilling to ask your spouse to be the source of identity, meaning and purpose, or inner sense of well-being, while refusing to be the source of theirs. Who do you want to be the source of your identity? Jesus. It will make you ravishingly beautiful to the extent you are. He is. Remember the song by the Righteous Brothers? You're a baby. You're my reason for laughing, for crying, for living, for dying. What am I without you? Remember that song from 1967? Soul Inspiration, I think it was called. I heard that song on the, on the radio, the only station in the DFW area, and the song finishes and the disc jockey says, my, what a terrible burden to put on another person. <laughs> Bingo. What a profound thing. You don't want to wake up next to someone every morning who's whole world crumbles if you're not everything he or she wants you to be. You want to push them off on Jesus. <laughs> push them off on Jesus. Because <laughs> Jesus has a way of making someone whole, intact, satisfied. Uh, next one. The willingness to have less free time, less sleep, and a busier schedule in order to be faithful to what God has called you to be and to do as a spouse. Tough. Particularly young families. One of the spouses is working all day long. The other spouse has got, you know, up to here and childhood and diapers and this and that and it is, and it's draining physically. It's draining emotionally. We don't, you don't have a lot left in the tank for each other. Right? You end up, as I said, Janice and me, two ships passing in the night. Um, it's, it's hard. And so what does that require you to do? If you know this next week's going to be hard, just by virtue of the schedule, you've got to huddle up and strategize accordingly. When are we going to make sure we connect? And it's not, hi, hi, I'm fine. No, we just connecting more with our pillows than with each other. And I, I, I do believe it takes strong male leadership for this to come to pass. Men need to lead. Men need to make it happen. And ladies, if, if your husbands aren't making it happen... Gently ask them to and ask them, what can I do to help you make this happen? How about the next one? A commitment to. And there's a, I'll read it, there's a typo in there. A commitment to say no to selfish instincts and to do everything that is within your ability to promote real unity, functional understanding, an active love in your marriage. What's the ultimate source of that commitment? The love of Christ in your heart. Without a 
strong apprehension of the power of the cross and the love of Christ, this isn't going to come to pass because my selfish instincts are too strong for circumstances. My strengths are too weak for me. My weaknesses are too strong for me. I need Jesus. I need my heart compelled by the love of Christ. Therefore, what's the greatest gift I have to give my spouse in my marriage and my kids? What's the greatest gift I have to give them? In weakness, going to Jesus knowing I don't have what it takes to bring this to pass, I get with Jesus, I fall in love with Jesus, I'm filled with the love of Jesus, and wherever that love goes, it is by nature bouncy. The love of Jesus never goes into a heart to stay there. It goes into a heart to transform it into a heart that is outward looking. That's the nature of the love of God. You really don't know the love of God until you start loving other people. It isn't about you. It's about you being loved by God so that that love can flow out to other people. Isn't that what 1 John reasons? By this we know the love of God, that we love each other. Anyone who says he's born of God, loves God, and loves others. Hard, hard, hard. So the most important thing you need to carve out is time with Jesus. Time with Jesus. Next one. Does, hopefully doesn't have a typo. Staying faithful to your commitment to treat your spouse with appreciation, respect, and grace, even in moments when he or she doesn't seem to deserve it or is unwilling to reciprocate. Thank you, Radu. And again, what would be the source of that? I'm now called to love the unlovely. What's Christ. It's only Christ. You can all love the unlawful if it's not Christ. Christ. Sometimes the most lucky thing you can do for somebody that is unlawful is just not to say anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. When to speak, when not to speak. When your actions <laughs> speak louder than words. Tell it like it is, prophet. <laughs> How about the next one? The willingness to make regular and costly sacrifices for the sake of your marriage without asking anything in return or using your sacrifices to place your spouse in your debt. Okay. Well, last week I vacuumed the house. Why can't I go spend 16 hours golfing with my friends this weekend? That's living on with, with bargains. So what, is, what is a sacrifice by nature? You don't get anything back. Well, first of all, it starts with what? Something that you have that you give up and aren't getting back. And that could be, in the case of the marriage, that could be time, time energy, loving words, extending forgiveness, a whole lot of different things. And again... What must be controlling the heart for us to want to sacrifice? The power of the sacrifice of Christ for us. If, if, if the gospel is dull, boring, and ho-hum, this isn't going to happen. Which is why Wallace Presbyterian has been a church for 110 years that is about the gospel. The word of God. Jesus. We, your church knows that. And so the moment you stop getting Jesus in its teaching and worship, complain to the elders and then leave if they don't do anything about it. Right? I'm not starting a mutiny, you 
<laughs> okay, next one. I think it's the bottom of the page. Being unwilling to make any personal decision or choice that would harm your marriage, hurt your spouse, or weaken the bond of trust between you. Thank you. Examples? Taking a job without talking to everyone. Taking a job without talking to everyone. I tell you the truth. We were considering a move from Charlottesville to Texas to plant a church in 1991. And Janice knew it was on the radar screen. And I took the job without fully consulting her. Unbelievable. Thank Jesus I'll have a wife that will follow me anywhere. Not because of me, but because she fears the Lord. It's, no, really. Unbelievable that I did that. You ask her sometime. Did Mike really consult you about moving to Fort Worth? Unbelievable. Um, former President Jimmy Carter has publicly confessed that his, one of his greatest sins was deciding to run for governor of Georgia without consulting his wife and nearly doing that again when he decided to run for president. Wow. So what's going on in my heart? What's going on in Jimmy and Mai's heart? <laughs> no, we want self-awareness. Pride. And what's, what am I telling? Pride is often shows up in cognitions, thoughts. What am I telling myself? What's the statement I'm telling myself? I know better. I know better than my spouse, therefore I can make this decision autonomously. There's probably another sentence in there. I really want this, comma, and... What's the second half of the sentence? I don't care. Huh? I don't care what she thinks. I don't care what she thinks, or even worse, she may not want this, and I'm not going to get what I want. So I'm fearful of letting her in on this decision, because she might derail it. Now, it wasn't going to be the case with Texas, but still... Can you imagine me going out and buying a new car and bringing it back? Hi, here I am. I just spent $30,000 money on a new car. I would never do that. We sort of have built-in limits to how much we'll spend without consulting each other. That's a major decision, isn't it? Okay. Can I ask somebody for the time? 10, 10? Uh, can I make a correction because this is being recorded? I was wrong. It was the decision of leaving the Navy, a career in the Navy, to go home and take over the father's farm and then enter politics shortly thereafter. That's what nearly did their marriage in. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jimmy. We love you. Thanks for serving our country. <laughs> that was surely worth, incidentally. <laughs> we don't rattle on each other, right? We don't rattle on each other. <laughs> next one, top of the next page. See if we can finish these this morning. Love is refusing to be self-focused or demanding, but instead looking for specific ways to serve, support, and encourage, even when you are busy or tired. Okay, when you're busy and tired, you are probably most selfish. When you wake up tomorrow morning and there's a leaning of your heart towards other-centeredness or selfishness, what should you assume you wake up with? You're focused on yourself. That's what you assume. Who's the only person in the world that can change that? Jesus. Go to Jesus and ask him to change your heart. 
so that in moments of busyness, etc., tiredness, you can be uh, look for ways to serve, support, and encourage. Sometimes it's as simple as planning ahead. Honey, this week I've got meetings Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. What are the implications for our relationships? What's the implications for our childcare? What are some things you sense I need to be helping with in light of that? Just plan ahead. If you know you're not going to be home for dinner on time, and the expectation you is you are, what should you do? Call and just call and say, "I'm sorry, I'm not going to make it." And you then ward off heartburn from unfulfilled expectations. A lot of heartburn in our relationship, heartburn in our relationships, is due to expectations that aren't fulfilled, and that's often due to crappy communication. We're just not talking. Daily admitting to yourself, your spouse, and God that you are not able to love this way without God protecting, providing, forgiving, rescuing, and delivering grace. Translated, the greatest gift you have is your weakness. I can't do this. I'm going to the person who can empower me to do it. Flawed, yes, this side of heaven. I'm not going to do this perfectly. And neither is my spouse. That's why I extend to her patience, compassion, gratitude. And finally... A specific commitment of the heart to a specific person that causes you to give yourself to a specific lifestyle of care that requires you to be willing to make sacrifices that have the other person's good in view. That's kind of the summary statement of what we've been saying for the last 20 minutes. Closing thoughts or comments from y'all? You know, Christianity sets the bar really high because it wants to save you from boring, dull, stale, and ho-hum. Seeking to do this is boring. It's not boring. Failing to do this is boring. So let's pray. Thank you for my brothers and sisters, Lord. How precious they are to you. How precious are their marriages and their friendships and close relationships. How important it is to you that these relationships, in significant measure and increasing measure, reflect on this earth the glory of God, who is in relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, utterly delighting in one another. We would desire our marriages and our friendships to be marked by this through the power of the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ and the wonder of the cross motivating us, constraining us, prompting us and giving us willingness to sacrifice. Oh, what a love you shed into our hearts for us. As we go to worship, may we proclaim that love to angels that listen to the heavenly beings, to one another, that you, Lord Jesus, our Savior and King and Redeemer, would be magnified. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.